a Lifetime original podcast. Kirby woke up this morning and her eyes were like completely swollen. She Terrible. literally like she looked like this the scene from Hitch where he's like oh <laughs> having a huge allergic reaction. Here's the thing. She sent me a text, a picture of it. Dang, these seasonal allergies. I said, I said, oh my God. And I know it's not what you're supposed to say to people, but I said, oh my, oh my God. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Hey, y'all. Welcome to The Table is Ours, the podcast where we talk about all things Black. And this week, that's Black policy, Black advocacy, and Black health. With me today is my wonderful co-host, Ms. Amira Lawali. Hey, y'all. And if Amira were a doctor, she would be... See, this is very hard because I don't think I should be in healthcare. (laughs) I think you would be a gynecologist, and here's why. Okay. Not because you don't like blood. You like babies. I don't know if you like babies enough to deliver babies. (laughs) But I think what gynecologists stand for and what their purpose is and the connection to women that they have and how they serve women, ultimately, is something that you would really enjoy. Because I think you would find purpose and what it is that they do and what they stand for. I agree. I think that was so, spot on. I, I wouldn't have said that, but I think you're right. I think you are correct. I try. You, she's always <laughs> every, right. She's, she's literally always try. right. Every week she's always right. And every week I am like... <laughs> <laughs> and you guys already know who this is. It's my fantastic co-host, Kirby Dixon. Hello. If Kirby were a doctor, she would be... This is very easy for me, and I hope she's not like, of course. Kirby would be a therapist. Because literally, four minutes before this, she just got my life together. Like, she saw things very clearly and was able to tell me why I was feeling a certain way before I realized why I was feeling a certain way. I hear you. I see you. I agree with your thinking. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would be a good therapist, girl. Why? Because I think therapists have to have, like, almost like separation. Like, they have Mm -hmm. to be able to see and listen really intently. They have to be able to see your story from both sides and not insert their own personal narratives or experiences into as to, like, how you should approach a situation. Yeah. And I think I have a way of using my own experiences to justify or like <laughs> to do? make suggestions on what I think you should do based on what I have gone through. And that is not that's what true. a good therapist does. That's true. That <laughs> Kirby will be like, well, that happened to me. So I feel like this. That is true. Mm-hmm. That is. And I, you know what? It's always on my side. So I never have an issue with it. I'm a work in progress, yo. <laughs> I'm really trying to get better at that. But listen, I got a story or a narrative for almost every scenario that you bring my way. Yeah, and it's, it, I mean, it works in my favor. It works in my favor. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah, so I say all that to say I see your thought process. I appreciate you thinking I would be a great listener. Yeah. But I don't think I would make the best therapist in the world. Okay. <laughs> I, that is the level of self-awareness that I wish I had. Very self-aware. You're yep. very self-aware. Well, Amira, for Women's History Month, this uh-huh. episode, we're delving into health policy and relationships, like patient-to-doctor relationships and things of that nature. So I want to ask you, how do you, how does going to the doctors make you feel? Like, are there any anxieties that go along with that? Are you excited to go to the doctors? Like, what's your relationship with the physician's room? I have a great relationship with the physician's room now. It's Mm -hmm. like, I am gotten to a place where with my doctors now that it's like a complete conversation and instead of it feeling like a to-do list for me or mm-hmm. like homework for me. So I, I have a great experience with the doctor now. Mm-hmm. Before, oh, hated it. I had trust issues. But, and it always felt like um I was going to find bad things or going not to be listened to. So, yeah. but now, delightful. What a world. Oh, that's good. Why that's not? That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because now it's like, it's a conversation. I like talking things out and 
finding a game plan. But I, yes. I understand other people's anxieties around it because I've been there. But what about you? Um, I guess as a kid, it was I was bribed by candy. So really, hey, sign me up. Like I, I get a lollipop when I go to the doctor's office. Let's go. I enjoy <laughs> it. Um, now I don't really have any anxieties. Uh, I think it's like you. Like I'm, I'm very in tune with my emotions and I'm not afraid to stand up for myself and ask questions or say when something doesn't feel right. Yeah. Um, and I have pretty good relationships with the few doctors that I do have. Yeah. Um, but I don't care what nobody says. The gynecologist will always give me anxiety because men, really? y'all don't know them pap smears be oh. <laughs> so uncomfortable. <laughs> I literally feel it every time I have to go to the gynecologist. But, uh, I think like you, I don't really have any anxieties. I, what I have anxieties about is when something is wrong outside of the normal doctors that you go to. Yeah. I never know how to find the right doctor. And I oh, always have to go so to my hard. mom and her friends to put me on to the doctors that they use. It's terrible. And it's terrifying. Yeah. I, I think what you said is perfect because I, I think I'm only good at where I'm because I found my team of doctors by finding one good doctor. What I learned is one right. doctor knows other good doctors. And you can trust the way they care for patients. So once you build your team, your squad, like the Avengers. Once you build your squad. Once you bring your squad. Then it's great. But finding your squad. Oh, stressful. It is so stressful. I'm going through that period now. Like the moment you change cities or you live in a different place than what you're used to. Man, oh man, is that a daunting task. And so you just kind of like push things under the rug. Like, is your finger falling off? Nope. No. So I'm going to keep going, moving in strides. It's really yeah. bad. It's, it, the healthcare system is bad in that way, for sure. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know who this week has a lot more insight into mm -hmm. the healthcare field than we do because she is a doctor. A doctor. A doctor. <laughs> a psychiatrist. Dr. Callie Cyrus pulled up a chair to the table's hours for our special Women's History Month episode. Plus, creators of the online resource Melanin Doc, Somto Obi, and Ted Obi join the table to talk about how their platform is linking Black patients to quality Black healthcare providers and bridging the healthcare gap. So for those of you who may not be aware, Dr. Callie Cyrus is a psychiatrist and freelance consultant to individuals, political, and advocacy organizations around issues of race, identity, medical practice, public health, and conflict stemming from differences. Yes, we spoke with Dr. Cyrus about advocating for patients and going above and beyond to make sure they receive the care that they need. She explains the economic and physical obstacles keeping the Black communities from proper health care. Plus, how people can use social media and online resources to change policy and make real change. Dr. Callie, let's get it. Hello. Hi. It is so exciting to see you with you today. <laughs> yes. I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Thank you. Um, we start the podcast every single week the same way with some iteration of this. And our question for you is, what does joy look like for you this week? Oh, my God. Oh, this week specifically. <laughs> this week. Uh, this is, you really, this is a week. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, joy for me was, um, specifically, I will say Wednesday, sleeping in, staying in bed until about 945 and being able to cuddle with my partner and my dog before I had to start seeing patients at noon. 
So even if I didn't have to wake up my normal 637, walk the dog to get to like Orange Theory or something on Wednesdays, <laughs> yeah, I sleep in. Even if I'm awake, I'm just dozing. I just know that I don't have to be anywhere. I don't have to talk to anyone. I can just take my time. And that is, sometimes that's all you get. <laughs> that, Perfect. That's, yeah. 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 Do you guys say your joy or no? It doesn't go that way. No one's ever asked, actually. <laughs> I mean, joy is like a hard thing to find for Black people right now. And maybe I'm a psychiatrist, so I'm like interested to know what this is like for you. Yeah. Kevin, go ahead. I knew you were... Uh, I, no, I mean, wow. Joy for me this week. Um, it's been a tough week, but... Today, I received Just Because flowers and lunch at my doorstep, and that brought me a lot of joy That is today. beautiful. <laughs> I, yeah. That makes me so happy. Oh, my gosh, Amira. <laughs> it <you>? does. <laughs> um, look, today was a little scrappy, so I'm trying to figure out my happiest moment this week. I, I've had a very joyful year. In the last year and a half, I'm very happy with where I am now. And actually, I know what it is. Today, and it's actually on topic, today is the two-year anniversary of when I was supposed to have surgery, and I'm happy to still be here. So we'll get into that later, but that is my joy. Okay. Um, this yes. is when the world was shutting down two years ago, and it yeah. got postponed. So that is what I'm happy about. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. I love That's this so much. One. This is a conversation we were destined to have. And t- shout out to you, Dr. Callie, because even for being the first person to check in on us in that way, that I know. <laughs> you just set us on a totally different tone and we appreciate it. You're um, welcome. You're welcome. Genuine interest. Yes. Yeah. Well, for our listeners and people who may not be as familiar with your work, can you share with us kind of your introduction into the medical field and share what type of doctor you are? So I'm a psychiatrist, not to be confused with the psychologist, um, just because I went to medical school with the surgeons and decided I did not like that kind of stuff and wanted to (laughs) be, uh, so I prescribed medications and a lot of folks who are psychiatrists don't um, do therapy, but I like to do psychotherapy on the side as well, because I think the two go together. So before I went to medical school and then after medical school, we have residency training where you train to be the kind of doctor you want to be in. Four years of training. I was working at a university. So we train at these places. We stay on the faculty. I always wanted to spend half my time teaching Mm -hmm. and the other half seeing patients. And so I like to call myself like a jack of all trades, but like a master of none when it comes to like diversity education and talking about this kind of stuff. And I may see, I I use DEI, but I think it's just because for ease, I talk about difference in general. Um, I like to take a more holistic approach. So I was always teaching my other medical school colleagues, teaching people more senior than me, coming up with education. I used to be in charge of the program that trains actors to be patients. Mm. And I would create these like crazy scenarios for doctors. Like you have to take a history on a Trump supporter who is visually impaired. So you have to like help somebody walk into a room as a medical student while they're saying, like, where are you from? Are you even right. a, like this kind of stuff? Um, yeah. Cause I love having these kind of conversations, but like a lot of black doctors, I left that university setting and mm-hmm. have been trying to be more politically active. I worked on the Hill for a year and after working on the Hill and seeing that there's not doctors working on healthcare policy or not even doctors, anyone who works in healthcare, really working on healthcare policy, mm-hmm. it scared the bejesus out of me. Yeah. So I do some politically active stuff. I try to do some education because one, I also know black folks don't talk a lot about our mental health and we got feels. So we got what's going on here. Um, And then I also have a private practice, which has been a little weird because I have to think about making money while I really just want to help people. Yeah. Um, But that's where I am and that's what I do. Yeah. I always find the journey going into medical school really fascinating because it's a long, arduous, hard process. I have a friend that's going through medical school now, and I see kind of the mental, uh, it's not trauma, but like the, the mental baseball she's going through with trying to juggle, you know, taking care of patients and learning how to care for patients while learning the material and deciding what she wants to do. What was that moment 
or was there a specific moment in your life before you decided to be a doctor? Like what sparked you to want to get into medicine? Yeah. So you're not going to really believe this, but my middle school librarian came up to me when I was in the eighth grade and she said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And at that point I said, I wanted to be a doctor. My mom had um, stage four lymphoma cancer. So it was really interesting going to a lot of hospitals and but I wasn't mm-hmm. sure. I kind of wish I became a DJ. That's a whole different story. <laughs> but like, so this woman in eighth grade, she said, my son's in a summer program. And I'm, in, I'm from West Palm Beach, Florida. She said, this program will pay for you to go out of town to Philadelphia and learn how to do science research. Wow. And so from my eighth grade year to my second year of college, every summer I spent outside of West Palm Beach doing lab research at Temple University, at NIH, at Merck, um, in Rome, in Vancouver, in Philly, and all these places. But where this comes to is that, and it's for underrepresented kids, so mostly Black and Brown, the person who ran it was, he kind of ran it like a boot camp. Every week we would learn how many Black people, if you went to this college or this medical school, um, you would not do well or you needed these kind of grades to get into this kind of college or this kind of medical school. And he gave us all this research so that Mm -hmm. we could apply MD, PhD and get into medical school for free. So it was a, it's a pipeline program. People talk a lot about pipeline programs. Mm -hmm. I'm the product of an eighth grade librarian. Oh my God. Who said like, you look like you got your life together. Eighth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Which like, I don't know how she got that, but I mean, let me not be self-deprecating, but I, so I knew that it was going to be tough, but medical school, to your friend's point, is like, it is a little, little too traumatic. Um, I think it's okay to use that language because especially if you are, I got my master's before medical school and then I started medical school and I'm a little bit older than the other students. Mm -hmm. One, you have to move to a new city. Where do you get that money from if you haven't had a job? Hello. Two, they give you, you're living in, I was in Chicago with like $12,000 a year. Oh my gosh. How do you survive and pay for books and like live a normal life if you, you know, if you're trying to access joy, which costs money sometimes? Yeah. Um, I mean, at one point I was on food stamps. Like it is a, it's a, and if your family can't give you money, if you're someone who's giving your family money. Yep. And then on top of that, um, you know, that's when I got diagnosed with anxiety. I've always been a little bit of an anxious person, but like, imagine if you have, if you, and if you're a person of color or like a low income person, there's all these weird things you have that happen in the day, a brother, a sis, like some happen in the world that got you down. And it's just not, the system is not made for that, for you to go take this test. That's going to determine where you go and get your livelihood. When all you're trying to do is strive. We talk oh. about it all the time. Yeah. So we do want to get into the state of healthcare overall, specifically for the Black community. In your opinion, what is the state of healthcare systems in Black communities today? Terrible. If if that's... (laughs) I I mean, I'm a bit of a... I'm clearly a pessimist, but as someone who has worked... I will say it depends on where you are, but I think generally not as good as it could be. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think like most of the healthcare system and then like most of systems for Black people is under-resourced and it's a bunch of people trying to make the best do with what they have. And it's clear that we don't, we need more. (laughs) It's clear. It's just clear. So I just think there's so much hustling happening. Mm -hmm. And this past year has been clearly put in our faces of how stressed the system is. So I, I, we need more money. It comes at the end of the day, you know, I used to be, let's educate people. They'd be less biased, less racist. We're going to get this done. We need some money. We need some money. So it's underfunded. It's just, it's underfunded. We don't have enough doctors. We don't have the facilities. We don't have the education to go get people to come into the community, to build the relationships, to help us trust them. Um, I mean, we can also talk about the educational system and how we learn about health. But I think Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, States and federal legislation need to provide more lasting, consistent money for the healthcare systems that serve Black people. We talk a lot about racial disparity and racial disparity in the medical field specifically because Amir and I are in corporate America and we're very aware that racial disparities exist in all fields, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. right? It's not something that's going to be fixed overnight. 
we're trying to change that. Um, but why do you think it's so prevalent in the healthcare system specifically? Everyone touches, like we all are affected by those racial disparities. Unlike where if you're not in corporate America, you don't work in television, you might not be able to speak to that, but we all have to go see a doctor. Right. So yeah. why do you think it's so prevalent in, in the healthcare field? Right. So like every other field and healthcare, it's at multiple levels. So it's from the moment you need to go to the doctor, what is that system like? What time you need to be there? Where is the clinic? What's the specialist that you need to see? And I mean, it, it's interesting. If we're talking about Black people, I'm mostly going to limit this to mostly Black neighborhoods or a zip code or something like that. How yeah. is all that set up for you to get there? That's just the outside building and making the appointment. Then you get there. You are going to go to the receptionist. They probably look like you. Then you're going to see this doctor. The doctor's going to sit there and ask you all these questions. And more than likely, this doctor does not look like you, which is, that's just the way it is. But how are they asking the questions? Are they asking in a way that you understand? And what do they do with that information? Do they interpret it through their lens? That's going to be helpful. Or is it full of judgment that they're not aware of, that they, they're just trying to get through their job? And then where does it go from there? It goes through a whole bunch of different other operations that are designed to maximize profit. <laughs> and at the end of the day, if you're not bringing that, that profit, is that actually going to land in the result quick enough or efficiently enough or effective enough that's actually going to help the person who started that cycle? So I think if you... I mean, I'm on the marketplace. I'm on Obamacare. I pay a bunch of money a month because I have an expensive psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. So I know that when I get to that system, it's going to be a little bit more efficient than it would if I was on Medicaid. Right. That's just, that's just the way it is. And I think that at the end of the day, a lot of that comes down to income and it comes down to Black people. But who makes these decisions? So the people who decide where the clinics go, um, who gets into medical school, who runs the companies that are feeling like, we're taking the blood, who are running the tests, who are going to be doing the MRIs, who is designing. It's all designed through their lens. And it's usually not designed through the lens of Black people <laughs> who we are here, we live here, we've been part of this nation forever. So yeah. I think, and at the same time, it's not designed for people who have, um, who are differently abled at times for different ages. So all of these identities make a difference. But I think the fact that it's not created like a lot of our systems by us, for us, that we run into these problems. Plus, we have just anti-Black racism in general on top of it, where people thinking they're not racist or they yeah. whatever, plus racist and what that yeah. does. So that's the way that, that I think about it. And so not only do we need, so I, I think the most important part, if I had one thing to say, is that the way that the healthcare system is also funded is by a lot of these you know, pharma companies, insurance companies, hospitals, but then the government gives us grants. Mm -hmm. These grants run out every few years. And most of these grants are go to the health centers where people of color live. So if you every four years got to apply for a new grant for our, the Spanish speaking program at your clinic, you don't know if you're going to get that grant. Right. Yep. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so how can we, how do we have a system that functions year after year after year, decade after decade that helps actually make us better? <laughs> Instead of just yeah. responding and not responding well because we don't have enough. Yeah. I think you touched on two things that hit home for me. You touched on access and you touched on discomfort. And for me, I think of like the area codes and I have memories of like going to the doctors with my grandmother and having to literally pay for a cab and set that ahead of time and call the cab two days prior to make sure we could get there because a the bus didn't get there. I think of I'm from Philadelphia and how hard it is for me even now to find a doctor that is nearby or that accepts my insurance or um, that is not 45 minutes away door to door because I have to go into a more affluent neighborhood because those are the better doctors that I want to yeah. see. And then second is the, the trust thing. And that's what I'm continuously dealing with in that I feel like, and Amir and I had this very candid conversation yesterday Technology is a positive, but it's also been a negative in my life when it comes to being face-to-face -face interactions with doctors. I feel like now they're so concerned with getting the right information on the system. My, I'm lucky if a doctor looks at me once <laughs> when they're going yeah. to examine me. And 
in addition to racism, I've also experienced ageism, right? Like people look at me and they're like, you're young. There's nothing wrong with you. And I'm like, I'm here. (laughs) Yeah. Because something's wrong. Something is not right. Nobody knows my body better than I know my body. And I'm telling you. Right. The surface level examination is, is, is not enough. Um, Uh And I've, struggled with that as a as a young black woman tr- wanting to trust people to look after me and and my health and and if you ask me today Dr. Callie if I have any doctors I have one I don't have a physical care physician I don't have I have a therapist uh-huh. kind of a gynecologist and I think that's what makes this conversation uh so illuminating because it's like it's it's larger than we're just few experiences but this is the norm unfortunately and so i've i've really struggled with trust of doctors in the healthcare field um for that reason yeah and then they tell you you need a primary care doctor when like yeah no. i'm sorry it's a never ending cycle it literally is it it just yeah. it's a circle yeah I, I do want to be clear. It's not a distrust of science. I mean, I only use that caveat because the time that we're in right now, like I don't, which is why I'm so hesitant to even like tell part of my story because I don't want people to distrust science right now when people are like, we're losing lives every day. I got you. I distrust doctors who don't know that they have a bias to not listen to Black women. Mm-hmm. And I literally haze doctors until I can, they have to earn my trust. (laughs) Uh Like I will be mean to you until I can tell that you respect me and my body as a person. And I think choosing healthcare is it's in my hands. Whereas when I started everything, I was like, Oh, I'm so lucky to find a doctor. No, you're lucky to find me. Right. And I need to make sure that you see me in the right way. You have to find a way to tell the story. I've had to drive patients and walk them into an ER before my own car just to make sure that they got to the thing they need. I, I will I will call mm-hmm. the doctor, make the four different doctors they have, or call the pharmacy to make sure that they are explaining something to patients. Because one, you got to say it in the language that the other doctor understands. Even when you say in the language, they still might not even believe you. Yeah. I'm curious though, what are the challenges that you experience as a result of this healthcare system, because it's actually, if with you saying you had to drive patients to the emergency room, even if you call in a prescription and you're still receiving pushback, what are some of the the things that you notice and you have all of the credentials that would make someone want to listen? Yeah. So one, I know we say this a lot, but doctors are horrible patients. I hate going to the doctor and I hate going to the ER. <laughs> So many times. Oh, no. Because you know what's you know what's gonna happen. Like you yeah. know what's gonna happen. I think two for me, it's I know my system. Like I can walk in and I immediately tell people I'm a doctor. But then when I'm dealing with my patients who don't know what's going on with them, or they live in a group home and the person who runs a group home doesn't think anything's going on with them, or they can't get their meds and they have tried to go to the pharmacy, but the pharmacist is explaining something. For me, when usually someone reports this back to me. So if, if I'm working in a typical clinic structure and I'm like, can you help me understand what didn't happen, why this person isn't taking their meds or why this person didn't actually follow up to see their kidney doctor or why they didn't actually get in the hospital. So mm-hmm. think about how many doctors, once they ask the nurse or they ask um, the social worker, this kind of question are like, mm-hmm. you need to go do your job or this person's non-compliant. From there, I talk to the patient and I, I, I think it's just the way that I'm built. I figure that out because if you don't figure it out, what's going to happen to the patient? And I think that there are a lot of other doctors in my circle who are like me, Black doctors. And can you imagine how much more time we spend trying to do this? Because we, like, I, I, they look like me. They look like yeah. my mom. They look like my brother. I'm just going to let this fall in between. And you can't save everybody. Like, I get that. But at the same time, if this person is under my care, I'm going to do what I can. If I have to call like the CEO of an insurance company, you know how many letters I've written? Yeah. Like how many phone calls, like putting on my Yale letterhead or something like that to say, you need to call me back. Like, I don't mind doing that if it gets that person to care because it's so complicated. I even know that for myself, which is, (laughs) so how are they going to do it? The fact that you have to do extra to keep other people safe is like how our community works. It's so much added pressure that way that we have to take care of ourselves in defense to 
healthcare and doctors who we're supposed to 100% trust with our lives. Yeah. A yeah. broken system that is meant to save yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. That we're like basically being saved by community. And and I'll tell you this, like right now, most of, so if, if I think about my friends and colleagues who are around my, my age of doctors or early mid-career, family medicine, psychiatry, surgery, everyone is in the same, like one, we're, we're Black. We have our own pr- problems. We're dealing with the same systemic stuff. Plus we got our own families. How many of us come from families who have it together? Mm-hmm. Not that many. Maybe a few generation doctors. So we deal with our family. Then you have partnership. I'm Black. I'm queer. I am anxious and depressed. My partner is a Mexican Indian woman who also has anxiety. We got mm-hmm. our own relationship stress. So you, one, these doctors are carrying all of these things. And then two, the way people think doctors are financially, we're not like that. Right. We, we're stuck in a weird like income group. So we ha- like, I'm privileged. I know I have a, I have a check, but at the end of the day, it's still like, we signed up for something completely different given how much we have to give. Mm-hmm. And it's exhausting. It is so, I can only see patients two days a week because that is like the amount of power and like effectiveness I feel like I can have. And it is, it is so sad to feel like you can't do more. Right. And I mean, but at the same time, I work from home. You, you, you just have to cope with this, but it's, it's really tough to be part of the system and especially the more power you get realizing you can't like how limited. Yeah. I wonder now we can't obviously fix the system overnight. I wish we could, but I'm wondering if you have any suggestions as black people as to if we are in these situations, how do we kind of get our points across when one, we're not being heard or we feel like there's misconceptions already being made against us just by the way that we look. So I'm just wondering how, do you have any suggestions as to how we as Black people can get our point across when we feel like we're not being heard? Yeah, yeah. I think maybe a little bit like um, Amira's approach is that I tend to be more aggressive. Mm -hmm. So if I have a friend who is like, I think this thing is happening to me and I'm not sure. If I don't understand it and I'm a psychiatrist, I might outsource my friends who are family care, family medicine doctors. And then once I have an idea of what that thing is, if I know someone in the city I might specifically say, do you know a doctor that treats this that I can send my patient to? So that's the first option. The second thing I do is whatever the person tells me they're suffering with, and I give them the buzzwords. So like, this is the thing is that, Mir, how many doctors did you have to go to? Now, you found this dude online talking about what this was, but he named the condition. So then when you go in with the buzzwords, a number of things can happen. The doctor gets defensive because they're like, oh, you come up and you tell me how to do my job. Very defensive. I'm going to tell you, you don't have that. So then there's like this game that you have to play to get heard. But if you come in with buzzwords, then you can say, I know I have these. And then what I also tell my friends and family, if they're doing this, you need to ask for blood testing for thyroid hormone, or you need to specifically go see an ENT and ask them if this has to do with X, Y, Z. You need to go right. see this rheumatologist that I just sent you to and name this thing to ask for. So I tell them what to do. And if I'm on the other end, I will call and demand from the other doctor and I'll call it out and say, this is unfair. I really need you to do this thing. And I, I mean, as a psychiatrist, I think an interesting point is that we can paper people. We can send people to the hospital if we think that they are danger themselves or others. And there's one other category that's called gravely disabled. And I, mm-hmm. I use that quite often for elderly folks or folks who are stuck at home, who, mm-hmm. who no one takes care of. And I will send them to the hospital so that they can get a checkup. I mean, they might not like me at that moment, but like, if you haven't seen this doctor <laughs> in 20 years and you over here don't even know who I am kind of thing, then it's clear you need a little something. But then you risk, like you're helping them, but then they're also now part of the system that's not going to necessarily take care of them. So then like, how do you follow up with these people to make sure they get through the system and get what you want? So there's so many layers of follow-up that have yeah. to happen. Mm-hmm. It's, com- it's complicated. It's very complicated. I know. And I, I feel like this is a big question too. But as we're trying to evolve institutions, every institution right now, but specifically healthcare, especially how doctors treat Black people, specifically how doctors treat Black women, what steps can we take to evolve the relationship between doctors and Black women? What needs to be done? 
Yes. So this is the thing is that when I'm thinking about doctors and black women, it's like the doctor as a human individually mm-hmm. um, who has to be able to participate in this process and then the system. And so you need someone because doctors, we, we're petty people. We want to li- <laughs> li- listen to the doctors. We want to listen to the people who we think are at our level, which is very annoying. Um, and so then you're coming in with someone who's essentially an alien to them at times. If you're like a white dude, how do you get them to see it? So I think one easier fix, like I'm all for more funding parity, which is like funding mental health, the same as physical health. But I think there've been some, there's some interesting work happening with, with peers is what we call them. So they're, they're basically advocates. So if you fund folks who understand the system and, and at least who are like, let's say there's an organization that is run by a bunch of different types of black doctors. And we're like a consultant where mm-hmm. someone says, I think I have this, this thing. My doctor's not listening to me. We can give you, how do I reach you the same way I help my friends? Mm-hmm. And then yeah. how would I accompany you? So mm-hmm. if I can't accompany you, who would accompany you? Someone who understands the language, maybe a retired nurse, maybe a yeah. current nurse, maybe a mm-hmm. farm, like even farm, it, someone with medical training or literacy to go in and say the jargon who can then, who may even have a relationship with the doctor, the hospital system or something, that would be even better if that clinic sponsored it. So then that doctor knows this person has legitimacy Mm -hmm. to accompany you. But I think the medical field right now is funding people to go in and and serve as advocates or peers, especially for mental health, to sort of um, interrupt or intervene at a level that's here before you get to this other point where people aren't necessarily going to listen to you. But I think what's missing is that how does that peer communicate with the system? And that's very complicated. Like, I don't Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a big question. Um, I do want to take a second. I love nurses. I have friends who are nurses. I have family members who are nurses. They do the work. They do. They want, they know everything. They do the work. And the empathy that they have the ability to speak to you in a way in which you listen, but you feel taken care of. There's something that nurses learn in nursing school that I think we need to bring back to the doctors. They should be at the center. Yeah. 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 I love them. So I just had to take them off to shout to the nurses. Um, So you don't want me (laughs) on a plane when they say it is a doctor, they need to say, is there a nurse? Like, (laughs) This is always been my thing. I don't know why people are like that. Like nurses are amazing. They run it. Yeah, they're yeah. they're awesome, mm-hmm. Doctor Kelly. It is so clear that well, we we've researched all the incredible things that you're doing. So we know that you have a lot that you're doing on your end to try and literally combat this exact issue. So I want to ask you personally, what are some of the actions that you and other physicians are doing? and taking to make real change in this industry? I know you have um, Time's Up Healthcare, but are there any ways in which you guys are trying to shift policy on the back end that the average person might not be aware of? Yeah, and and the first thing I'll say is that it's tough because I'm a Black queer doctor and a lot of the female cisgender doctor. So that means there's the lady organizations, there's Black organizations, there's LGBTQ organizations, and whose interests all of the intersections are we yeah. fighting for? So, yep. the, like you bring up times of healthcare, which really no longer is a thing, which because what happens when a lot of white ladies specifically get in a group, it doesn't work. Who we fighting for? And there's been some, and right. there's been a whole bunch of other drama over there. But at the time, I I like the approach of times of healthcare because they're using the media in media yeah. strategies to um, raise advocacy and, you know, raise viewpoints that need to be heard. Um, so that's one org that I was in that's actually influenced, I think, my approach right now, which is trying to do writing, trying to get on the news, ultimately trying to be something like a correspondent where I can explain some of these things to the public, because that's the gap. That's all we are. If you understood what we did, then we would be closer to working together. I think the other thing I do politically is after working on the Hill and seeing the way legislation was created without medical professionals, I was looking for um, political advocacy group and all of the doctor groups out here are like, we're nonpartisan or we're bipartisan. And I was like, you understand that this person who's going to be elected hates people who look like me. Right. Yeah. This group found me after me sending out a bunch of emails to folks. And it's 
an organization that was initially run by doctors. I was on the board of that. Um, we come out and we're very left. Our executive director caught Mike Pence out at a diner once and went viral for it. And so mm-hmm. they use media communication locally at states as well to get on the news, write to the local newspaper to talk about the issues that like, imagine seeing your primary care doctor on the news talking about, you need to go vote this person out. You need to go do this thing. Uh, and so politically, that's the thing that I do. And then for my own, like, you know, I see patients, I have to make money from that. But the other stuff I do is consulting. And I work with organizations that need to talk to somebody about race who's going to translate in a way that they mm-hmm. get, but also be tough on them, but emotionally, you know, help them get it and make them feel safe enough to kind of further what they're doing, especially if they have a lot of influence on Black people's lives. Mm-hmm. So, but I think the media is the ultimate goal. I mean, I, I've been, my my friends will joke that I wanted to be um, Sanjay Gupta when I was in high school, but like, <laughs> yeah. I absolutely, I just, I think it's, it's Hollywood has, Hollywood media has such a platform to help educate people that doctors usually use for some strange personal reasons, I will say. Not, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but like, I just think it's, it's such a, we could really be reaching Black people if we were able, to, like, I think it's a really great place to do this work. And so mm-hmm. that's what I have up my sleeve and just trying to, trying to stay alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With the gatekeepers in the healthcare industry, do you think that there is an opportunity or that we are moving slowly in the direction to make the healthcare system more safe for people who look like you and I. Are we going forwards or are we going backwards? <laughs> Basically. I I mean, I think that's a tough. I will say with the advent of the internet that individuals as consumers and patients can't help but try to force the system forward. But I think it's an old system that doesn't want to budge. And I mean, I'd like to think so that the more people talk about things and they recognize and then they look up and they call out and they say, we want change. Like at some point that has to force forward. But then, I mean, I think about civil rights movement. I think about how much we've already, that we saw that was worse. Maybe not everybody on the internet, but I don't know that I, I have faith that the system will move forward and not move back but it's just going to try to trick us and looking like they move forward. Like mm-hmm. they do. Mm-hmm. Like they usually do. Dr. Clay, I have a quick question for you before you uh-huh. leave too. I just think this conversation is going to, people are going to be like, well, what are like the resources we can be checking out or things like that to learn more? And where do we even begin to look for, you know, good primary care physicians or, or doctors? Are there any resources that you recommend or want to call out? Um. So... It's a really good question. I, I think one city specific, I think you have to look for like, and I, I sometimes, I don't know how you find that, but you need to look, look at, okay. So the way it works in psychiatry is that you're, you call your insurance, they give you a person, but there's also therapy for black girls. I think it's an amazing yep resource because we love therapy for black girls. Not only do you know all black people, but there's also a bunch of different resources geared towards educationally. I don't know that we have that in primary care. Um, I think that might be there's, it's probably because doctors are doing a lot. They probably have their own pet projects somewhere. You just don't know who they are and where they go to. So I do, I want to say for more health concerns, if you want to educate yourself on some things, the AAFP has an amazing website. So this is American Academy of Family Practice. And their website is, I mean, that's where a lot of doctors are going to search things if they're trying to figure out what's going on with folks. Um, so I would think that. But then I think the next step is what I would do is go to in your city and look for, you can usually find photos of doctors, but look for the type of specialist or the type of doctor you need and just see what color they are. It doesn't mean all, all skin folk or kin folk, but like right. still- you can go, you can go look for them. And sometimes university hospitals will have residents or trainees who are more likely to be black than some of the actual doctors who are on staff there. But there is probably like, it's, I think it varies depending on where you're getting care. Um, And I wish I had a better answer for that. But I think that is, I would just Google black doctor Philadelphia. 
<laughs> like black ENT <laughs> Philadelphia. Like that's the way I would find someone. Or if you know anyone, if you have a doctor you like, this is an, actually a really good suggestion. If you have a doctor you already like, who's in a, a specialty, ask them if they know, if they can look for doctors who are like them that they would send their family members to. Totally. There was a study I was going to tell you guys about, maybe you've heard about it, about the medical students in Virginia who thought that Black people had higher pain tolerance. Yep. So yep. that's what you learned in medical school. Wow. And that's like a that's like a better medical yep. school. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. It's wild. <laughs> wow. And try to see a female doctor. And try to see a female doctor. Even if it's a white lady. Definitely. Try to see a female doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Trying doctors is hard. I, I'm happier than them now. I, I What I think is the funniest thing is that of how big New York City is, that in all the circles that Kirby and I were in when we were that time, we have the same Black I know. And that is what, because she's, the way she treats Black women got around to people in our industry. And it was like a waiting line to get to her. It's just wild. Like, in one of the most, like, what? Yeah. Or you can oh, get yeah. her, but you got to wait a year. Yeah. Well, what if yeah. something is wrong right now? So then that's what happens. So then maybe she can give you names. But if you guys, I mean, mm-hmm. at least you know me at this point. This yeah. is one of the things I get on text thread. Do you guys know any doctors you trust in this area? And even, I mean, most of them are white, but like yeah. you can at least try to get someone you know and you can say, I know this person because then they treat you differently. Yeah. There needs to be like a separate Google only for doctors, like Google or something like that, like Dr. Google. <laughs> I just hate that we have to do this. I'm not going to lie. I just, I hate that it's come to this yeah. because I think even having the option to go to people or to know, to have the instinct to know to go to people is a privilege. And I, I hate that life or death is a privilege. Exactly. Exactly. Like, exactly. Exactly. Well, it's even the privilege of, even when you're saying like, you know, somebody, I know what, I have a nurse in my family. Yeah. So she's my go-to. And she tells, but not everyone has that. Like, it's like having somebody like that at your arsenal is not normal. So I I get that. That's a privilege too. Like I have people in my circle that when something's really wrong, like I can go to them and they'll tell me, no, you need to go see somebody. Uh But uh it's hard. It's hard. It it is. It is. It's one of the reasons why I'm just like, we're going to get you what you need. If you about to run out of this mess and you're going to have a heart attack. I'm not a primary care doctor, but we're going to do it. So I did a lot of primary care with my patients here in DC before, like diagnosed blood clots, like stuff like that, that because when they're going to go see this other doctor. Yeah. Whew. Thank you. Whew. Well, this yes. is just the beginning of the conversation. So we got to keep having it. <laughs> mm. Um, This has been <laughs> such a great conversation and I, I know we can go on and on about it. So first off, thank you. But we like to end every podcast with some iteration of this sentence. So if you could fill in the blank. Okay. Um, This week we have for you, my Black is healing because. I am truly more open to love. That makes sense. I love that. That was 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 really good, actually. That was very good. And basically (laughs) what I needed today. Yes. It's like, yeah, put yourself out there. You got to like, yeah. Yeah. Love is, yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. This has been very uh, hard combo, but a refreshing one to have. So we appreciate it. Completely agreed. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Stay tuned because when we come back, we hear from the creators of the vital healthcare resource, Melanin Doc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. How yes. are you? How are y'all doing? Yes, yes, yes. Doing good. Happy to be here. Appreciate it. If I can just ask you guys to introduce yourselves. Okay. Thanks, Kirby. Um, yes, I could start. My name is Somto Obi. Used to go by Randy. Had to hit a switch. And now I am going by my Nigerian name. 
I am from Houston, Texas. We love Houston, don't we? We love Houston <laughs> on this podcast. We haven't had Houston in this podcast in a very long time, Kirby. You're right. I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to let you have it, girl. <laughs> so we need, we need, we're, hopefully we bring that back to you guys. You know, bring the H-Town flair. Back but, again. But yeah, so like currently right now, I'm a resident, you know, psychiatry resident. I did med school. Now I'm in psychiatry resident at Baylor. And I started Melanin Doc conglomerate hopefully one day six years ago when i was a med student yeah you can go next um ted ob um i did three years of med school at mount sinai in new york uh currently at harvard business school for people that may not be aware of what the actual platform itself is essentially like is it a website where like you know there's visibility of black doctors where you can see people that are doing the things that you might want to do or that if are in your hometown and you want to find a black doctor you can use this platform to find someone who looks like you like what exactly does the platform do Exactly yeah so right now we're in the stage of you know still growing it and hopefully creating it to like a huge you know resource for you know minority patients but right now the biggest question that we get is all right I need a black doctor who can I go to, right? Or I need mm-hmm. a culturally competent provider. Who can I go to? I want someone I could go to that I could trust. Who should I go to? So how's that? How's that worked in the past? Usually, you go ask a friend of a friend. You ask your grandma. You ask your your sister. You ask um, a friend and see. Okay, who do you use? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I use this doctor. She's really great. I use this doctor. He's really great. So we're trying to create that you know platform taking it from just a word of mouth experience to a a platform experience. So right now that's what it is. It's a directory hosting 1200 plus, you know, culturally competent providers where you can just go there and just find a minority doctor or culturally competent provider, something that you could trust and start the process of even just reaching out to them. Right. Why melanin doc, I guess, I don't want to say why it means so much to you, but like why, why you started it. Pretty much one of the reasons for starting this was to just pretty much increase minority in medicine. That's the goal, but also to like have something that people could look at and be like, you know, before you could be it, you have to see it. So that's kind of what, mm-hmm. how it started, how it was important to me and how it impacted me. So the question was about Melanin Doc and kind of what it means to me. It means a lot um, to me personally, just seeing over the course of six years, how we've progressed First, initially starting off just being kind of a platform for representation and having pre-med students, med students, residents throughout the whole pipeline look to Melanin Doc and say, hey, look, I can be that. I Because to some of those point, you could just see it. And over past few years, we've been able to support pre-med students with scholarships. We've been able to support them with mentorship opportunities. So um, just seeing the whole trajectory um, has been exciting. and. We're now launching Melanin.Connect, which is a platform that's going to connect people of color to culturally competent providers. So we're really coming full circle um, in a way to address health disparities and improve on health equity. Yeah. I'm excited for Melanin.Connect because I think both Kirby and I can speak to like wanting to have Black physicians and Black doctors because we feel safer with them. Mm-hmm. So was that the initial, I guess, spark for that? Like, were you hearing from patients, we don't feel safe around doctors who don't see us or hear us in the right way? Yeah, so I, I, I think the, there was one experience I had um, at an unnamed hospital, I'll say that. And one <laughs> of my we're not, patients... We're not going to spill any tea today, okay? <laughs> <laughs> the tea is the story, okay? Not yeah. the name, but the tea is the story. <laughs> one of my patients um, kind of had a tear, like a really unfortunate experience just engaging with one of her providers. And I happened to be on the team and just seeing that experience, seeing it so real and in my face um, and not, not just hearing about it, but being a part of that patient's care team and just seeing it was um, such, such an impactful catalyst for Connect. And besides the representation, there also needs to be action. We need more people, more Black providers at the point of care for these patients. Because like you like you mentioned, a lot of Black patients don't feel safe. That perception is very, very unfortunate because that just leads to less access to care, less people feeling engaged, less people feeling comfortable, and more health disparities because they don't seek care when they most need it. And not only do, do they not seek care, but 
the, the comfort level is just not there. And that's kind of what we're trying to address with Mountain Dot Connect. Can I ask, like, what makes them culturally competent? Like, what was, what is the standard? What training have they had? What does it mean? Like, if they're not a Black doctor, how is that determined? Right now, we're only focusing on Black providers um, um, for that reason. You know, um, we want it to be a space where Black patients feel comfortable. And right now, we don't feel as comfortable including other minority providers that may be culturally competent at this point. but it might change in the future, right? To determine who's culturally competent and who's not. We, we did a survey of over like 390 people of color and we outlined what exactly were their pain points. And from that, we, we, did, we made a patient a bill of rights. What do patients care about? Then we have an implicit bias test that every provider takes that's verified. And then they sign another pledge to uphold the standards of this platform. So when they when this provider gets a referral from a patient from Mellon.connect, they know that this is a patient that needed they need to take care of. This is a place that's safe for the patient. They that's an expectation that if you go through Mellon.connect and you are taking care of these patients, you need to provide a safe haven for them. Obviously, you guys have been very successful. It's just growing and growing, and there's clearly a need for it, right? Like, I wish I had something like this years ago. This would so, that, so much when we first moved to New York, Kirby. Yeah, we're moving to New York, and Amira <laughs> yeah. and I were literally feeding off one another to try and figure out, like, who's your primary care physician? Or, like, even, like, my other friend was like, who do you go to? And eventually what you see is all of the Black people are going to the same gynecologist, yeah. the same primary care physicians, the same doctors, because it is kind of like that word of mouth. I'm curious as to what the feedback has been that you got, you all have received as a result of starting Melanin Doc. It sounds incredible. Okay, at least for Melanin Doc, the Instagram platform that we have, nonprofit where we just showcase minority providers. It's always been, it's been really great. It's been positive, you know, it's, it's beautiful. Cause like we see, you know, some of our first people that we posted and some of the first people we've had contact with, they've grown. And as we've seen them from medical students, residents, now there we have people that are attendings and it's like this community, people are giving back, reaching out, you know, for example, we had a dermatologist she was a resident when she was ready. She wanted us to post her picture. We had exchanged numbers connected with her. And now she's a popular dermatologist, has a great social media platform. Awesome. And now we have mentees and that's another platform where we're using Melanoc Connect is creating, you know, every provider that signs up, we ask them, do you want to be a mentor? So we're going to feed all these um, providers also into the mentorship program um, where, you know, for example, uh, Dr. Robinson, that's her name. Uh, you probably saw her on Instagram. She's a dermatologist. She's been mentoring some of our, you know, mentees, for example. Mm -hmm. So we've seen her grow through that process. At least for Melinda Connect, it's also been great feedback. Um, just having a platform where I could just look and find somebody in my area. So I just know where to start, you know. Yeah. And that's the biggest issue is people, the barrier to entry is hard because in this healthcare system, we don't even know where to start, right? At least I have a face and a name I could call. So mm -hmm. at least from that standpoint, it's been good. Awesome. Love to see it. Love to see it. <laughs> um, you guys are two Black men in this field. Like, What kind of has your experience been finding physicians or what has your relationship been like in the past with the healthcare system that would have caused you to like ignited you to want to create a platform like this. I think I think for me, um, I had I had a shadowing experience. One of my first shadowing experiences, I went to Orthopedic Hospital in Texas, and after that experience, um, any pre med student would have left happy. I didn't leave happy, mostly because I didn't see any providers, anyone that I aspired to be that was black. The only black people I saw at the hospital were the house staff, janitors, and the custodial staff. Um, so for me, um, it's it's been tough, and there's often a necessity for black men in medicine, black people in medicine, to find sponsors, mentors, people that they that can kind of uplift them. Um, and that's not a requirement for a lot of my counterparts that I saw in med school. Um, mm -hmm. Because my, my, my situation was actually better than most, I would say. 
because I knew early on that I needed to find these sponsors, these mentors that could support me when no one supported me. How did you know early on? Like, what was the reason that you knew? Yeah, I, I mean, one of, I guess the one of the most salient experiences was just seeing, I was talking to one of my friends and he got an opportunity to shadow because his dad's friend was the head of the department. And yeah. mm-hmm. early on, I knew I was like, okay, that's not my story. So how do I hack the system and make, make it my story? Mm. I want to say it's a little frustrating that in every single industry, like it's our stories mirror each other. Like Kirby and I go through the same thing in our industry as well. So it's frustrating that no matter what you do, we have these to build our own pathways that haven't been built before. But exciting Mm -hmm. that you guys are doing it and exciting that the next generation is not going to have to face the same things that you guys are. Exactly. Samto, what about for you? Yeah, and I I agree with everything. And it's interesting because kind of in the medical field, we get tunnel vision, don't really look at other industries. But it's interesting that, you know, in all other industries, it's also this apparent too. And like Ted was saying, at least my first experience with even seeing a, a doctor by myself, not like one of my, you know, pediatric doctor um, with my family was when I went in, came, saw the provider, very rude, didn't even do a physical exam. I'm not saying why, what caused that, but I'm just saying at least my experience with my first doctor was not a positive experience, you know, and as much as, you know, it's not about race, but it is in the back of my mind always, you know, it's going to be a thought that comes up, you know. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. but also sometimes it is. And I think that's, sometimes it is. It is, yeah. 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 Kirby and I were just speaking about earlier about how now I feel the need to haze my doctors. Like I used to be like, oh, I'm so happy that you're seeing me and you're fitting your schedule. Now I'm rude and I'm like, you have to earn my trust to say Mm -hmm. that you know what's right for my body because I don't trust you. Yeah, and I think that's fair. And and even with, for example, for Melon Doc Connect, we have implicit bias test. Everybody, even being a minority, we just because of the system we live in, we even have implicit bias against other black people. So it's like mm-hmm. how much more so someone that isn't even experiencing that experience, right? So we take that as a part. But at least for more personal, how I had realized like this mentorship program, just finding a path is the same way. I actually sat down with a dean of a medical school, like right when I was leaving. And she pretty much broke down. She's like, I wish you would have came in earlier and told so we could have talked, you know, things would have been a little simpler. There are students that their dad were, you know, the dean or chair or resident or fellow. Oh, in the building. Mm -hmm. In the building. (laughs) And they didn't have the right MCAT score and they still got in. You know, they, mm-hmm. they didn't make the bottom of tier, you know. There's people that didn't take the MCAT and got in, you know. There's people that oh are getting. Gosh. Yeah, so it's, so then you, you realize the fact, some, and, and I'm not saying this is all the cases, but doing things right and grinding through it, you know, puts you at a different place, you know. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people are getting through without doing that. But a lot of people are getting through, and at least with medicine, a lot of it is merit-based. So that's a good thing. But there, you know, there's still people that get by without having to do what everybody else is doing. And that's the picture that, you know, as we go into this field, we want to create at least like a path, a way to understand it. So someone, if I get a mentee, I could tell them this is a game, but you got to play it this way. You got to watch out for this and you got to do this, you know. And that's what I think is powerful about finding people. And I think at the end of it is finding people you trust. You know, finding people you trust that could talk to you. Yeah. And I feel like what you guys are doing is creating that trust even before, you know, you have this physician to patient opportunities. Like you guys are connecting people at the critical point of they're they're young enough where whether they're residents or things like that, they will eventually be hopefully running their own practices and will have the tools to be able to create really successful businesses that care about the patients that come in. Cause that's what we're lacking. Like it's literally the healthcare system, but where is the care? A lot of yeah. us are questioning the care. Uh, and that's because <laughs> the healthcare system was not built to take care of the folks that look like you and I. So really proud of what you guys are doing. Uh, we have excited. one question 
that we ask all of our guests left, but I want to give you an opportunity if there's something that we didn't ask you about Melanin Doc that you really want to shout out to the masses, if there's anything. Yeah, I think I think just one last plug is like bottom line, uh, Melanin Doc Connect is a platform connecting people of color to culturally competent providers. And our goal is, and our vision is to address health disparities and increase health equity. Right now we're asking providers, we're asking health systems, we're asking insurance companies to partner with us and kind of help us achieve this vision. And how can they do that? Like, is there a a website, a social media page? Yeah, you could um, connect.melanindocs.com and and you'll find us. Connect.melanindocs.com. Amazing. We like to end every episode with some iteration of this question. Um, My Black is igniting positive change because. My Black is igniting positive change because it won't stop, can't stop, baby. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, my Black is igniting positive change because students, pre-med students, that are younger before <laughs> us will have an easier time becoming physicians. Boom. Beautiful. Yes, sir. So good. Yeah, they so should. good. Thank you guys for taking the time. It's really dope what you guys are doing. We appreciate and it. Yeah, we'll lift you up in this, this room. We're proud of y'all. Thank you, guys. The Table is Ours is produced by us, Kirby Dixon and Amir Lawali. This episode was also produced by Aisha Jordan and edited by Bill Moss. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn. And our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.